So I was born in France. I had the blessing of being born into a Christian family, of going to church every Sunday and being raised in Christ and to like to follow Christ. <laughs> when I was about three, almost four, my dad wanted to study more about God. So we moved to Argentina, Word of Life, um, where we were supposed to stay there for a year. <laughs> um, but God just called us there to stay there for seven years. So one year became seven. About a year later, after we moved to Argentina, um, I wanted to get saved just because my brothers had done it. I wanted to do it too. But I didn't really understand the meaning of being saved. Fast forward a few years, I was about nine. One night, when after reading devotionals for the night, um, I realized that I was not sure that if I was going to die, if I would go to heaven. So in a way, I was afraid that I might go to hell. Um, I, had a, ha I didn't have the assurance that I really was gonna go to heaven. So that night, I asked my mom if she could help me through this and that if it was okay if I said the prayer again because I'd already said it when I was four and she said yeah she said that around some time when she was my age she had done it too she retold me the story that I'd heard a thousand times that Jesus came to save us but I heard it like with a brand new pair of ears and just tears flowed through her eyes um, freely <laughs> So I said the prayer that night with my mom. I really did feel a change in me. Um, and since then, my life has been an amazing adventure. <laughs> I've had my ups and downs, but really through Christ, I have been able to do these things that I never thought I would have been able to do. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Have you ever been to a place where you think, man, I just really would rather not go back there. I mean, I've traveled a bunch and there's a lot of place, places I want to return to. There are a few places that I would say, I don't like going there. Did you know there's even some places in the Bible that I would say, I wish I didn't have to go there. I wish I didn't have to hang out in this section. And truthfully, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in that kind of passage. And the reality is, I've struggled with this. I was with my friends in Ecuador for the last week, and my pastor friend, Pastor Evan Burroughs, was there, and we were talking about Sunday's coming and, and what we're preaching on, and I said, man, I'm really struggling because it's, it's Mother's Day, and I'm in Romans 1, and I'm talking about the wrath of God, and I'm just not sure that's going to cheer up all these mamas in the house, and, and as I prayed through that, I, I really... I really feel like God brought me back to the reality that so much of His truth is simple. It's like those truths that Mama used to say. You remember the movie Forrest Gump. Some of you do at least. And he, he always said, Mama said. And so, uh, for example, he said, Mama always said, life was like a box of 
Chocolates, yeah, you, you never know what you're going to get. He said, my mama always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. That's just true. Mama says, stupid is as stupid does, yeah. I'm going to be in trouble with mama for saying stupid from the pulpit probably. <laughs> mama always said dying was a part of life. I sure wish it wasn't. How about this? Mama always said you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. You can tell where they've been, and you can tell where they're going. I think about those sayings, and I think about what we're about to look at in Romans. And I really believe that these words from the Apostle Paul, though deeply theological, though very intense, they're also simple. They're like truths that come from the lips of mama, but they're so profound because they come from the heart and the Word of God. So, so let me introduce this by just reminding you of the theme of Romans. It's those first couple of verses we looked at last week, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Now listen to those again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's say that last sentence together. The righteous shall live by faith. That really is the theme of this deeply theological book of the Bible that's called Romans. That God wants you to live the righteous life, and, and so He's made a way for you to do that. But that way is not based on religion or ritual or accomplishments in your life. That righteousness is achieved through faith. And at the heart of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's a phrase we talk about a lot in church, and, and so maybe today you just need me to remind you what the gospel is. Verse 16 kind of defined it, so we ask that question, what is the gospel? Let's answer that based on verse 16. The gospel is the good news from God. Isn't that exciting? God has good news from you. It's the good news from God about Jesus. The gospel is not that you can believe anything you want. The gospel is from God, and it's about Jesus. It's the good news from God about Jesus that has great power. There's power in the gospel. So as we talk about the gospel today, the power of God is presence in our midst. And the power is there, guess what, for everyone. Say everyone. This which we're talking about today is true for everybody, everyone who believes, and it shows us the simple way to be right with God. Aren't you thankful that God makes a way for us? Why is this so important? Why do we need to be made right with God? That takes us to verse 18. You know, listen to the Word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, likely His eternal power and 
in his divine nature. They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Say that, say without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. In Isla's story, she talked about being saved. And you hear that word in church a lot. If you grew up in in church, as I did, that's not confusing, because I knew I needed to be saved as a child. Some of you remember that time when you were saved. If you did not grow up in church or you've not been around church, you're, you're like, what do, what do you mean saved? Saved from what? The verses we just read answer that question. Why do we need to be saved? Because we need to be saved from the wrath of God. Do you understand that? There is wrath of, of God. What is the wrath of God? It's the anger of God over sin and its impact in this world. It's the anger of God over evil and its effect upon society. That's why we need the good news, the gospel. Now, in church, sometimes you you may hear liberal teaching from scriptures, and sometimes you may hear more conservative teaching that holds straight to the scriptures. Liberal teaching is not going to talk about the passage we just read. It's not going to talk about the wrath of God. Why? Who wants to hear about an angry God? Who who wants to hear that God may be upset about sinfulness? We would much rather hear about the love of God, right? It makes us feel better. And no, nobody wants their toes stepped on We don't want to hear that God may be upset with us. And so in liberal Christian teaching, like you'll hear from a lot of liberal preachers and a lot of Christian so-called writing, you don't hear much about the gospel, which is what we're talking about these few weeks here. What you hear about is more moralistic self-help. You know, just do these things. Take these steps to be a better version of yourself. You can do it. It's kind of the American way. Just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. The, the, the problem is that's not scriptural. The, the scripture talks about this reality of a God who has wrath. If I'm not going to believe in the wrath of God, the punishment that results ultimately potentially in hell, then there's no reason for me to be evangelistic. Why would I tell anyone else about who Jesus is? Because really it doesn't matter. Why would I go on mission trips? Why would I be missional? Because it, it surely must not matter 
But if it matters, if there's a reality that sin angers God so much that it has to be dealt with, then it's going to impact everything in my life. And the reality is it does matter. Sin angers God. But as we begin this discussion, I want you to understand it doesn't mean that God is some cosmic killjoy standing in heaven just waiting for you to blow it so that he can zap you. No, in fact, the Bible says that the Lord is slow to anger. I love this verse I read just yesterday in my Bible reading. The Lord is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Imagine, imagine that... uh, you were getting ready to leave work, but you had stayed a little long, and you realized you were about to miss your son's ball game. So when you got in the car, you realized you were going to have to take some extra steps. So you just a little bit went over the speed limit, and you sped, and you knew you were breaking the law, but you had to get there. And then all of a sudden, you saw it. You saw it in your rearview mirror those blue lights and you knew it wasn't a welcoming committee and you you got pulled over and you got a ticket and man that can just ruin your day next morning you get up and and you 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 try to get to work but you slept a little late because you had a bad night because you were so mad and you realize you're going to be late to work so what do you do you speed you break the law again and oh no there it is again in your rearview mirror you see another set of those blue lights You get another ticket, you get to work late, man, it's going to be a bad day. You got to work late, so guess what? You had to work late. And just as you were sitting there finishing up at work, you realized, oh no, I've got a date with my wife. And so you jump in the car and what do you do? You speed home and what happens when you go over that speed limit? You look in your rearview mirror, you see another set of those blue lights. In 24 hours, you've gotten three tickets. That's a bad day. So what do you do? You go to the judge. And you say, oh, judge, can you just give me a pass this time? It was, it was just a bad day. I was just running a little late. Three different times in 24 hours. I know I broke the law, but I didn't mean to. Oh, judge, can you just make all three of those tickets go away? What do you think that judge is going to do? He's going to laugh you out of the courtroom. No chance, bozo. Well, understand this. The Bible says that God is holy. The holiness of God means that he he can't have anything to do with sin. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, the world went dark because he took the weight, the sin of all of mankind on himself because God is holy he has to punish sin he can't let the guilty go unpunished that's who God is that's how God acts that's how he lives in this world but there is good news right that's the gospel the good news is that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the wrath of God, the anger of God is poured out on Jesus on the cross. 
That's the reason we have the cross. The theological term is the propitiation for our sin. He poured out his wrath. He poured out his anger. All of that wrath, all of that anger of God for what you've done and for what I've done was poured out on Jesus on the cross. That's why on this Mother's Day, I would say the greatest gift that any child could give to their mom is, is to let mama know that, that you've, you've trusted what Jesus did on the cross. You're not in danger of the wrath of God because Jesus took that for you. You've been saved. How do you get saved? It's that gospel, remember? That simple truth that you look to Christ in faith. Is the gospel just for people like us? No. What Paul's saying here in this passage, it's, it's for everybody. Why? Because we all need it. We're all sinners. We're all guilty. In, in this chapter, Paul makes it clear that the Gentile world is guilty. In the next chapter, he's going to make it clear that the Jewish world is guilty. And by chapter 3, he's going to let us know, hey, there is none righteous, no, not one. At the end of that verse, he says, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin angers God. And it demands his wrath. And that's the point that these verses are trying to make. When we talk to children about salvation, that's the point we have to make. I can't tell you how many times a, a, a little child has come to me and says, Pastor Paul, I want to be baptized. And I'll say, why do you want to be baptized? And they say something like this. Because I love Jesus. And after I go, oh, I say, I love Jesus too. But to experience the miracle of salvation, you, you have to do more than just love Jesus. You, you have to understand you're a sinner. And, and so did you know that even when a child walks through the waters of believer's baptism, we've made sure that they understand the only reason you need to be saved is because you are a sinner. And either you're going to take the wrath of God for your sin or you're going to look to what Jesus has done and let him take your wrath. Paul's describing that in these few verses in a, in a pretty clear way. In the, in the verses we read, he first talks about an aversion to the truth. They, they didn't want the truth. And, and that leads to a diversion from the truth. They did things their own way. And that leads to a perversion of the truth. When you do, your own, when you do things your own way, man, you can really mess it up. And, and guys, we're living in a world that has greatly perverted the truth of God. He's describing how people ignore God, and, and then as a result, they imitate God. They act like they are God, and, and then as a result, they insult God. And perhaps that's, that's the cycle you're in. You've pushed back the truth, and, and you're ignoring God. And the, and the truth is, in, in your world, you've kind of imitated God. Making your own decisions. And now you've gotten to a place you're insulting God. 
So I thought about this passage, and then I, I thought of all the things my mom's taught me and different things she said, and how do I take this profound truth and just boil it down in a simple way? And, and I just came up with some of these sayings that, that I think apply in both places. Like, when I was growing up, there are times my mom looked at me and she said, Son, you know better than that. You know better. That, that's what Paul says in these first couple of verses. He, he says, here they've had the gospel, but what have they done? First, they were godless. That's talking about your vertical relationship. So there are things that God says you should do and you shouldn't do, and you're not listening to him. So as if he's not there, you're godless. And then he says they're unrighteous. That's your horizontal relationship. That means you're not living right. I mean, you're just, you're going through life as if nobody's there but you and you don't care. I mean, you're a steamroller baby and I'm going to roll right over you. I mean, that, that's how you are. But then he says, and they suppress the truth. What does that mean to suppress the truth? It literally means to, to push it down. You know it's there, but you're, you're pushing it down. It's like when mom used to say, you know better than that. In South Carolina, she might have said, that's not the right way you were raised, boy. You know better than that. You know the truth, but you're not living by the truth. And man, in our society, we're eat up with this. Let me see if I can illustrate it. We've seen it in the news this week. Praise the Lord if what seems to take place is taking place. The ruling of Roe versus Wade will be deemed unconstitutional and the battle uh, about abortion will take on kind of a different front. And the possibility is that this, this heinous act uh, may become uh, illegal. You know, the truth is, uh, this is murder of children. A, a third of my generations that the Bible says God knew in their mother's wombs, they did not make it safely out of their wombs. Because just after I was born, this law was put into practice. But it's caused a lot of emotion this week, hasn't it? Did you see the, the picture? There's one young lady, and she's holding a sign. And this is a young lady holding a sign, and it literally says, I wish my mother had aborted me. And you're thinking, no, you don't. That does not make sense. You know better than that. that. That's You know truth and that's not truth. You've pushed down truth to express something that you're feeling. And we're doing that all over society. And I'm seeing that in church. I'm seeing parents and grandparents who are changing what they believe is truth. Because they're wanting to justify the actions of their children and their grandchildren. That's not okay. That's not all right. We, we see that in our society. Uh, a, a few years ago, our nation legalized homosexual marriage. And so now my children are growing up in a world where um, that's the norm. But I need you to know that's not always been the norm. As, as followers of God, it, it, it's not okay for us to be okay with that. Why? Because for millennia, 
<laughs> since the beginning of history. That's not been the norm. But what did we do? We pushed down truth. But we know better. But I want you to see in this passage, it's bigger than just these moral issues. Because really he's talking about the truth of God. Can people know the truth of God? Can they know that He is there, that He exists, that He cares? The answer is yes. In verse 19, He says, it's plain. It's easy. All they have to do is look and they see it. I love this quote by Abraham Lincoln. It says, I, I, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down on the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he can look up to the heavens and say there is no God. This is why in, in verse 20 it says, So they are without excuse. So, Pastor, you just came from another country where there are indigenous groups of people, some living still very primitively, with no churches, no missionaries. My new friend William, who, who came from Jacksonville, he's ministering to the second largest unreached group of people in South America. His particular village, there's a thousand people, but of this people group, there are 300,000. He's the only known missionary. His village got electricity during COVID. Until COVID, he was the only vehicle in his village. Pastor, are you telling me that those people are accountable? I'm just telling you, God's Word says they are without excuse. Wow. What does that mean? Well, philosophers have talked about this in different ways through the years, different arguments for God. First, there's the cosmological argument of God. This is simply saying that something can't come from nothing. So you, you, you're kind of taking a huge leap of faith if you believe something like a Big Bang Theory, that something just happened and then everything that exists is here. That doesn't make sense. It's not science for sure. The reality is the cosmological argument says you can't keep going back in infinite regression to nothingness. Things had to start somewhere. And so we believe they start with God. Then there's the teleological ar argument. Teleo means purpose. So the, the teleological argument says surely there has to be a purpose to this, right? And this was done on purpose. And so you just look at some of the ways that the earth is created. For example, the makeup of our atmosphere. 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 5% argon, 3% carbon dioxide. Well, what if those levels were slightly off? For example, if the oxygen level dropped by 6%, what would happen? <gasps> We'd all suffocate. What if it rose by 4%? The planet would be a big fireball. And you know what would happen? We would all die. Uh, or, or what about this? 
What if the CO2 level was just a little higher? Let's say 3% or a little lower, maybe 1%. The earth would either become an oven or we'd have no atmosphere at all. And we'd all die. Or, or what about the water molecule? Do you know the water molecule is the only molecule whose solid form, and that's ice, is less dense than its liquid form? Which means that when it freezes, it what? It floats. It doesn't sink. Well, what if that were different? What if ice did not float? It would sink to the bottom. And so we think about our oceans. The whole oceans would eventually freeze from the bottom up. And you know what would happen? We'd all die. Or how about the distance from the sun? Don't you love it? Where the sunshine state, when the sun shines. What if that distance were a little different? If we were 2% closer, you know what happened? We'd burn up. And then we would, we'd all die. Or the tilt of the earth. Did you know that the earth is tilted in a, a particular way? It's set an ideal 23.5 degrees which gives us the tithes and the seasons. What if it were not tilted? Temperatures would be different, and then you know what would happen? We'd all die. So this week in Ecuador, I went to the equator. And um, you can actually stand on both sides of the equator. And uh, it's kind of weird. I felt schizophrenic in that moment. But... um, (laughs) Did you know that in this earth that God designed, on one side, really, right there we did this. On one side of the equator, you can pour water from a bucket into a sink, and the water spins down clockwise. You move six feet away to the other side of the equator, pour the same water out of the same bucket into the same sink. We did this, and it goes counterclockwise. There in Quito, um, do you know except for two days a year, the sun rises and sets at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day? Because it's the equator. In fact, uh, we have this video, but I'm not going to show it to you. I can try to walk on that equator line. And you know, if you try to do that and and you close your eyes... (laughs) You start shaking. It's crazy because of the magnetic pull. Why? Because God made this. Everything about this, it's on purpose. It's a part of his design. It's plain to see. I, I love watches. I like this watch. It's one of my favorites. It's a Tommy Bahama. I like Tommy Bahama too. This is not fancy. It looks nice, but this is not a fancy watch. In fact, I don't have any really fancy watches. Now, I'd love to have a Rolex. That's, that's not a hint. I, my birthday just passed. I, I, but and I have some that say Rolex, but if you see me wearing those, that's not a Rolex. It could be a Crolex or a Folex or a Stolex. I didn't steal it. But, um, but let's say I was out for a walk today, and I, I was walking down Whiteway over here, and I looked down on the sidewalk, and I go, whoa, a Rolex. What am I going to think? Thank you, Jesus, you've answered my prayers. Oh, I'm so good. No, I'm going to say, man, somebody lost a Rolex because that just does not appear. Someone put it there. 
But let's go a step further. Where does a Rolex come from? Why, why could a watch possibly be worth five or ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars? It comes from the reality that there's a watchmaker somewhere that really knows how to make a watch that moves just perfectly and never loses time and looks exquisite. I mean, the, the watch didn't just appear. There was a watchmaker who made the watch. It's a teleological argument. Or maybe there's an argument from a desire. You know, these urges we have, these desires, where do they come from? C.S. Lewis described this this way. He, he says, a baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. And if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And then there's the moral argument. Why are certain things wrong? Why are certain things bad? I was having this discussion with someone recently, and she has two small children, and she's not a follower of Christ. And she was saying, I'm so worried about my boys. They're watching these video games, or they're going to see these movies and all this bad stuff. And so I knew it. That's my moment. So I said, hey, tell me something. Why is that stuff bad? <laughs> and she knows I'm a preacher. She just looked at me and she said, it's bad. I said, I know it's bad, but why is it bad? She said, because it's not good. I said, but who told you it's not good? And as I, I was able to share with her, you, you see, you just can't make up the rules. Somewhere you're getting this moral argument. And, and what we believe is that people are without excuse because it's plain to see that the only reason we have moral arguments is because there is a moral lawgiver and he's decided what is right and, and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. And when you recognize that, you're drawn to say, tell me more about this God. And you're without excuse. So do they know? Do they not know? Near the end of World War II, the first town with a concentration camp that the Allied forces liberated was a town called Ordorf, Germany. The Nazis tried to get rid of any evidence of what had gone on there, but the Allied soldiers got there before they could. And so America, GIs, witnessed hundreds of dead bodies in this first concentration camp that they discovered. A few hours later, General Patton arrived, and he vomited upon witnessing what he saw. The next day, he went and got the mayor of Ordorf and his wife to see for themselves what they had had to have known was happening in their town. And then he ordered the mayor and every able body in the town to dig graves for each body. And after they dug the graves and conducted a funeral for the deceased, Patton found out that the mayor and his wife had hung themselves. But before their death, they left a note. And the note read, We didn't know, but we knew. That's what Paul's saying. 
They may not know because they're sitting under the preaching in a church. We have the written copy of God's Word like you know. They may not know that way. But they know. You, you may not know because you grew up in Sunday school or because you had a godly mom or dad like I was blessed to. But you know. And you're without excuse. You know better. But there's a second thing my mom used to say that I think Paul's saying here. And uh, you know, sometimes she'd look at me and she'd say, Son, you're getting too big for your britches. You ever heard that saying? You know, what was he trying to say? You think you're something? You're not what you think you are. Paul talks about that in verses 22 and 23. Look at it again. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Think about that. Claiming to be wise, they made a foolish decision. I read of that even this morning in my devotional time. Psalm 53, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's what we do. We make God in our image. He created us in his image, and then we say, we're going to return the favor. So we exchange what he's given us for our own making. Watch out. Getting a little big for your britches. You're not God. Let me tell you this last thing. A couple of occasions, my mom would say to me, be careful what you wish for. Be careful. You may get what you're asking for is what she's saying. Be careful what you wish for. Look at these next couple of verses, verses 24 and, and, and 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, here's the word again, the truth, there's that again, about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Be careful what you wish for, because God may give you up to your desires. What is that word? Three different times in this chapter, he's going to say, God gave them up. What does it mean? Imagine I were standing here with a Waterford crystal vase. Actually, if if I were standing here with that, I would have to tell you it's a, a Waterford crystal vase. If you don't know what Waterford crystal is, it's very expensive. And imagine I described it and held it up for you to see, and then I went, oops, and I just let it drop into hundreds and hundreds of water for crystal shattered glass pieces. What will I have done? I gave it up. When it says God gave them up, he's saying that he took his hands off of it. And he'll do that. He'll he'll let you do what you want to do, even if it leads to your destruction. And it's described in this pattern. It began with self-deification, right? There's no God. I'm God. 
And that leads to self-indulgence. If I've God, then guess what? I can do whatever I want to do. So self-deification to self-indulgence, and that leads to self-destruction. That's why we can't be ashamed. That's why we're obligated. That's why we have to be eager with the gospel. Does it really matter? This week I was with my friend. I'd met him a few years ago. He, he ministers to the Alka Indians, also known as the Hawani tribe in Ecuador. In 1956, on a beach, this tribe known as Killers killed five American missionaries. One of them is named Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott said so many wise things, but one of the things he said is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There were no known followers of Christ in that village. Five missionaries died. Sixty years later, a man who, who ministers in that village, he, he's at this pastor's conference and he, he's showing me pictures even of some of the killers, the murderers who have come to Christ. They introduced the gospel into that village and it, it began to change things. In fact, he, he said, Pastor, you don't understand, this is the first generation of the Aka Indians who know their grandchildren This is the first generation of grandmothers that know some of their grandchildren. Why? Because they stopped killing each other. And then he said this. When the gospel took effect, they stopped killing one another. And the tribe increased. So this group of Indians that were nearing extinction are now growing in Ecuador. Because of the gospel. I hear that and I think of I think of what a student once asked Charles Spurgeon. He said, if the heathen who have never heard the gospel would be saved. He asked that question. And Charles Spurgeon replied, My greater question is not that, but whether we who have heard the gospel and failed to give it to those who have not heard can be saved. Our guilt and God's grace. What do we do in response to this? Well, if you've never begun a relationship with Christ, the only response is to confess your sins and repent of your sins and look in faith to the cross of Christ. And I'm going to invite you to do that. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, our response is also very clear. This should not be optional. (laughs) We have to tell everybody we can the truth. We have to tell everybody we can uh, about the wrath of God and the way He's made for us to not be under His wrath. 
That's why we've given you these little bracelets. And that's why we've given you these symbols that are behind me and that you'll see on the screen that just tell us that, that every one of us, every man, every woman that's ever been born, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're all in danger of the wrath of God. And if you put that sin on a scale, no matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try, it's always going to be in balance. Our sin is always going to outweigh our innocence. But thankfully, we have a God who's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And if anybody can make a way, he can make a way. And he did. He demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died on a cross for us. And when we look to the cross and we understand that he took the wrath of God, we can respond in faith. And that changes everything for us. Oh, friend, this is not hard. We've given you tool, and I took 60 seconds to show you a simple way you can tell somebody else the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. The stakes are too high. Let's bow our heads together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to encourage you in this moment. Number one, if there's an area of your life where you've not taken sin seriously, I would encourage you to confess and repent of that even right now. Number two, if you're not sharing your faith in Christ, I would ask you to commit to do that now. Number three, I'd like you to pray for this next group of people I'm about to mention. Some of you are here and you've never begun a relationship with Christ. If your life were to end today, you would have to endure the entire wrath of God yourself. That wrath would cause you to have to be punished and the Bible tells us where that takes place. It's a place called hell. That's not God's desire for you. He's made a different way. The way He made is for you to have life with Him for eternity through Jesus. But you've got to understand you're a sinner. You've got to receive His forgiveness. You've got to look to what He did on the cross and by faith, trust Him. If you're willing to do that, you can do that right now. The Bible says so. It says... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And you can be saved right now from the wrath of God. Maybe you would cry out to God in your own words right now and just tell him you need to be saved. In your own prayer, you would just say, I know I'm a sinner. I, I need to be saved, Lord. I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm looking to you in faith. But maybe you need some help. Maybe you want to pray this prayer. You just say, dear Jesus, just you and, her, you and God, dear Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. I repent of my sin. I'm going to follow you. Take control of my life. I'm looking to you, Jesus, in faith. 
tell them, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Father, I pray that in these moments you would just give us an opportunity to, to rest in you. Lord, for those who have a relationship with you, may we just celebrate the reality that it's not what we do, but Jesus, it's what you've done that is the hope of the gospel. God, I thank you that though we talk about your wrath because of Jesus, we don't have to endure your wrath. You, Lord, are our living hope. In Jesus' name.